You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. from the seven. Vandal Jones on third down, lobs one up. There is a flag, and it is a catch by Sterling Shepard for a Giants touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump, how's it going? we got a very busy, busy time of year right now. Um, as we're recording this, I am in the, uh, I'm in the man cave of Cranky Fan Studios, two TVs in front of me, got playoff lightning hockey, got basically playoffs raised Yankees on, but here to talk New York Giant football, so... Is lot, we've had that long six month period of nothing, and now everything hits us all at once. Well, I mean, this is the Just Giants podcast, so we this is where we talk only Giants, but we only get about fifty percent of the cranky fans' brain. Um, well, <laughs> he's, he's a little divided right now. No, no, I will be. We'll be all into this. Let's do it. But if you do hear a random cheer or a random oh shit. It's safe to say either the Boston Bruins scored or the New York Yankees scored. So, but let's do this. Well, the Giants scored today in some respects. Uh, the Giants have not officially signed but have agreed to terms with Logan Ryan, cornerback. He is signing for a one-year deal worth $7.5 million. This is breaking news as of two hours ago. Um, Logan Ryan, you know, former Patriot, I guess – you know, some familiarity with Patrick Graham, with Joe Judge in a certain sense. He's from this area. I believe he grew up in New Jersey. He went to Rutgers. You know, this is, you know, this is the kind of thing that you feels like I'm reading a newspaper article. This is like they love to make those connections. Like, oh, it's all connected. Um, but, it, but it is. This time it is. Um, and it fits into a secondary that desperately needs some veteran guidance and some depth. Um you know, he, he bolsters a, a beleaguered secondary. You think about it, we went into this year with DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, Xavier McKinney, Jabril Peppers, Julian Love, and, and Corey Ballantyne. And then we signed James Bradbury. And now we have a bunch of depth and, and some a lot of young talent and skill. And right from underneath of us, DeAndre Baker's gone, Sam Beal opts out, Xavier McKinney... Uh, breaks his foot. So now we're down to, I assume, Corey Ballantyne taking the opposite side and uh, does not inspire a lot of hope. So, you know, we were saying Ross Cockrell, you know, a couple weeks ago, that didn't happen, that didn't come to fruition. Um, so now they, they've turned to Logan Ryan, who they've been connected to since, you know, the beginning of the offseason. Yeah, I mean, you know, the original plan was to have a lot of guys. We had a lot of talent, but we didn't have a lot of experience. And it was going to be, as we saw last year, a lot of on-the-job learning and a lot of on-the-job pain. And, you know, with this team, not exactly expected to go to the Super Bowl this year. Keep having guys like the Andre Bakers of the world. Just keep playing, get experience. You know, keep drafting back there to bolster the uh, the secondary room and everything. And, you know, things happen as they happened. Um, I've been saying it for a couple of weeks now that I didn't think that the starting quarterback was in the room just yet. And, uh, you know, the, the giants made their move. So, you know, you're trying to balance that being competitive now versus with the long-term plan. And 
you know, a one-year prove-it contract is not the worst thing in the world. Let's see what happens. Uh, you know, does he just buy time for, you know, the guys that are hurt to come back this year? Is it for guys with legal issues to get that straightened out? We don't know what the future is. So I think to hold over for 2020, I think it's it's a good move. We have cap space, but we're not burning cap for the future. It's, uh, you know, put that in the category for the Gettleman haters. You know, ask me to ask, uh, ask you guys, how do you break that one down? Um, so, you know, there's some things that I like and some things that I don't like here. I'm, at this point, you know, I want to develop Corey Ballantyne, you know, just as much as anybody else. But I don't think that throwing him out there, you know, is going to do much good. He needs somebody. I mean, I'm not a coach. So me saying that he needs something is take it with a grain of salt because I don't get to work with him every day. But I would think that you want a veteran back there to help, you know, give him some time to work his way into this new system, etc. Um yeah, but let, let's also be honest about Corey Ballantyne, too. I mean, what's the expectation and the ceiling for him? I mean, he was only a six-round pick. I mean, that's true, but but it was he was thought to be going higher. It really, he fell because of his... Uh, I mean, I'm not sure why he fell all the way to the sixth round, but, you know, just the lack of competition that he dealt with. Um, you know, he, he was invited to the combine. He had a very promising, uh, you know outlook for the draft it just didn't quite happen and you know I think you can kind of scratch most of what happened last year because it was an absolute shit show especially in the secondary right I mean yeah but I mean to say like we're bringing somebody in to kind of you know help in the development of Corey Ballantyne I don't think that's the case I mean that's something like that's not why he's being brought in but I think once you're down to him being your your starter on the opposite side now you need to bring somebody in he's not ready to do that even in a depth situation Right, in my opinion, in my opinion, I don't, I don't work. He's with not him. ready, and he may not really ever be that guy either. So yeah, right. I, I definitely think it's a smart route to do because if you're just relying on him, you know, that's a real gamble. Yeah, exactly. So you know, we're sitting here. You know, you don't want to in 2020 make a bunch of moves where you're signing a bunch of guys to try and win because you know we don't really think that this is the year that they're going to win. However. We are now at the point outside of our control that we need to do something to make this. I mean, in my opinion, how do you even judge a defense? How do you judge all the other aspects of your defense if one cornerback is getting beaten so badly right off the line of scrimmage that they can just keep going that direction? Or, you know, if you fear that that might happen and you completely alter your defense and scheme to prevent it from happening. You're not really going to get an evaluation of anything on the defense at that point. And then once the defense is completely gassed like that and, and the offense is playing from behind, you're not even getting a good evaluation of your offense. I mean, you have to put a playable product on the field. And I'm not saying this to just trash the shit out of Corey Ballantyne. I'm saying, you know, we are now down to what we expect to be the third cornerback, I guess essentially the fourth cornerback on the roster as now our, our second. And in any year... In any year, you need your cornerback three, not the slot corner, your outside cornerback three to play significant time. I can't think of any team that has made it through a whole season with no injuries to cornerback one and two. That cornerback three did not need to step up and play a game or half a game or something like that. So, Well, just the, just the way the league is now, you need three cornerbacks anyway. I mean, we, we are going to be a, a nickel and dime defense more. So it's it's just as imperative that that guy is... I'm is, not even talking about that, you know, in, in certain packages and stuff like that where you need that many defensive backs on the field. I mean, 
even in your base package, your cornerback three is probably going to be seeing significant time. You know what I mean? Like in in a regular season. So right now we have cornerback four as cornerback two. You know, th- this is just a bad situation to be in. And and the depth behind him isn't all that a problem. I and mean, we're talking about, you know, a seventh-round pick and Chris Williamson. I, I don't even know what UDFA's behind that. So this needed something thrown at it at some point anyway. So I, you know, Logan Ryan, he kind of covers, in my opinion, two things here. He's your outside corner. He comes in. He immediately competes for the starting spot opposite of James Bradbury. But also, he's really versatile. He he can move into some safety situations, some safety looks, some slot look. He played a lot out of the slot in Tennessee. Um, so his moving around kind of helps both the Sam Beal and the Xavier McKinney situations out. It allows us to keep the defense more dynamic and move things around. And, uh, you know, I think that that's very good. Yeah. I mean, this is just going to be all about a year of adjustments and kind of adjusting on the fly. And that's going to, you know, you never know. You can get a phone call at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning saying half of your secondary room has COVID. You know, so it's really all about just kind of fortifying your depth on the, on your team because you don't know when you go down to, you know, QB5 or, you know, um, CB5 or CB6 on this team. So, you know, everybody, I think you really have to set your expectations and calibrate what is important this year. And don't look at this like every other year. Like, I'm worried about the playoffs. I'm worried about the record. I'm worried about Gettleman being fired. I think this is going to be a, and again, I'm using this word in terms of context, you know, a survival year. You know, we got to, this league has to get through this season. Teams have to get through this season. You know, and unfortunately, the Giants have to do that with a very, very young team, a very, very young coach, a whole new coaching staff, whole new schemes, uh, injuries to key guys who are part of the present and future. So, I don't know. This is just something that's, you know, might be a stopgap. It might be something for longer term. But, uh, you know, Gettleman is trying to make this team as competitive as he can without mortgaging the future for sure. So. So here's my problem with this, and, and it goes along the lines of mortgaging the future because right now we talk about the cap space they have. You have to remember that Nate Solder's cap is not counting against this year. His entire contract gets pushed back to next year. So the amount of room they have right now rolls over, but only if you save that room. Otherwise, you're going to have to make cuts next year to make it all fit and all that other stuff. Also, expect next year to be the first time in a long time that the cap goes down. The lack of revenue that's going to happen this year is certainly going to affect the cap, and I can only expect it's going to go down anyway. So that's a big deal. So for me, my issue here is that Logan Ryan is signing for seven and a half million dollars now this year. This year, yes. But again, you know, you want to save money in the cap this year to roll over to next year to account for Nate Solder's cap hit next year, which would have hit this year. So but wouldn't that be wouldn't that be an empty space for next year? Like you're dealing with his money amount next year if they even keep him on the roster next year. Well, I don't think they're really in a place to cut him next year with dead cap. But again, there's not a whole lot coming off of the of the of the cap next year. So you want to save space this year to roll it into next year to account for that. Right now, Nate Solder is a net zero against the against the cap. So right. You, well, you I want mean, to have that room, that buffer. I mean, whatever you would gain in room, you know, from people leaving, etc., is what it is. 
but they have to be able to fit under the cap next year. And you want to roll over maybe not his whole salary, but a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pick your poison. I mean, we're in a bad spot right now. I mean, this this is this is still part, and people don't want to have the patience, but this is why we say this is a multi-year rebuild. It's cleaning out the cap and getting into a position. A lot's been done, but these are decisions that have to be made. You know, we, we just, Grumpy just did a nice five-minute monologue on the importance of, you know, having your cornerback situation taken care of. Well, there is a price to that. And Absolutely. And we probably, we probably overspent a little bit, and the, there might be some implications next year. But, you know, that's really that's really next year's problem right now. Well, I wouldn't say that $7.5 million is too much for Logan Ryan. My my issue is, is Logan Ryan the right guy? You know, Prince of Mukamara, while it hasn't been officially announced, it's rumored that he's being waived by the Raiders. Now, Mukamara is, you know, we're familiar with him as Giants fans as being this injury-prone guy, you know, whatever. And that affected him very badly. He wasn't able to get his big payday when his rookie contract ended. But since he ended his time with the Giants, he did have a very good career with Jacksonville and Chicago. Um, yeah, but you know, it's it's bird in a hand is two in the bush. I mean, you know, everybody knows the same information that the Giants do. He's not going to give a, you know, a hometown favorite because that's who drafted him. I it, mean, doesn't if you have the opportunity- it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the contract that he had signed with the Raiders was for less than one and a half million. We are talking about a $6 million difference for a guy, albeit would be strictly on the outside, but that, to me, that almost matters a lot less. I mean, I understand the benefit of having a Logan Ryan who can play a little safety, can play some slot, can play some outside, and it helps disguise some looks. But I mean, if, if we're trying to get depth and, and, you know, get, and also the fact that they signed Logan Ryan doesn't necessarily mean that Amukamara is off the table, especially with as cheap as he may come. Um, but I mean, I I don't know that throwing even more money at the situation is a better idea. I just I just don't know. I don't know if that was the perfect if that was the perfect move right there. The Raiders are about to cut a guy who's making a million and a half dollars. That needs to tell you about the ability of Prince of Mukamura right now. So you know, if he's somebody they're willing to cut for that cheap a bargain bin contract. How much does he have left in the tank, and how you know what is his value and what is his skill set I mean, at this I, point? I think for a million and a half dollars, if you get ten games out of him, you're doing pretty good. I mean, again, this is a guy who would probably would immediately battle Corey Ballantyne for a starting spot. He's a dude who, while he's not that lockdown corner that you have in, in you know in um, General Rush Jenkins or anything like that, he was a very solid cover corner. He's a very good against the run, also, and a good tackler. Um, and he's very disciplined. But then why is he making a million dollars and why is he getting cut? I mean, I, I, mean, I don't, he's I don't not know like his agent. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but I'm not saying that he's – what I'm saying is that I can't imagine that he's not an upgrade over Corey Ballantyne for a, on a, on a face value today deal. I don't mean in the long run. I don't mean by week 16 because, again, all you need him to do is, is – first of all, we need depth, period. But here's the other thing also is that you know when you're shopping in the $1 million – Roughly contract range, you have a lot more people interested in the services than, than what's his name was for seven million dollars. I That's think true. You know, I mean, I, I understand that. In fact, Logan Ryan was um, was purchased. I guess you could say they agreed to terms with Logan Ryan, even though he was being courted by Cleveland as well. So you know, there was significant interest for Ryan outside, which again, the interest jacks up the rate too. So you know, maybe Amukamara got a one and a half million 
uh, dollar contract with the Raiders. But, you know, we are now at a different time period, right? I mean, Omukamara signed his contract with the Raiders May 12th. That is another era of this year. I mean, things are so totally different in May. You know, you've just made your, you just had your draft. You know, now you're just kind of plugging holes. Now, where we are now today, we are post-injuries. We are post-opt-outs. We are on the eve of a season. So veteran talent is, is much highly coveted. You know, even if it comes at the expense of age, even if it comes at the expense of, um, you know, reliability. We don't know. We don't know how it works. You know, it's very possible that there's already been some back channel communications between his agent and the Giants to gauge interest. And it might be something and it might be something where, you know, Prince said, I'm not interested in coming back, too. So we don't know necessarily if it was even possible even to get a guy like him back. I, I just think that, you know, I, I see the points and the concern about rolling over money and everything, but, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame the 2021 season and the issues we're having because of this type of, this type of move. This is not something like, you know, signing a franchise deal for somebody else could really impact things going forward. And I think the situation was so dire that they needed to, they needed to act. And I think, again, it goes back to one in the hand is better than two in the bush. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not criticizing the move. I'm happy. I, you know, we, I was, I was getting really worried. You know, uh, heading into the season with the cornerback hell, uh, the hell that we have. Um, and you know, James Bradbury, as much as I like him, is not. You know, I would not say a top three. He's top not Deion five Sanders. Corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, we're not really dealing with. Oh well, we just have this hole over here where we can just throw talent at it, and then suddenly we're we're great. You know. James Bradbury's going to have his lumps as well, you know, even if he is very good. So, you know, I guess at this point we can keep our eye open for, uh, you know, Prince can still come back, you know, at this point. And, and it would certainly help this year in a lot of ways. I just hope that we're not spending too much money this year for, for one-year solutions um, because, you know, as competitive as I want the Giants to be this year, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we are NFC East favorites because we are not. Um that said, this is still this is I, I'm I'm pretty happy because I was really scared, um, you know what we were dealing with, especially when McKinney went down. I can deal with, you know, the corner situation is what it is. You know, with, with Baker and Beal opting out, you know, they're they're outside of the hands of the Giants. There's not much they can. I mean, you can't even fault the rebuild for this. I mean, the assets were pumped into this position. Things outside of that control have just sapped it of its talent and so now we need to make adjustments and I'm just glad that they made an adjustment (laughs) and Logan Ryan's a great player so I remember one thing also every other team in the league is going through these same issues as well this is not a woe is Giants you know situation everybody has to deal with guys that opted out guys that got hurt you know hopefully not legal issues like we've had but this is not something where you know I don't want to hear a bunch of crybabying like you Yankee fans who cry about people getting hurt all the time. I mean, this is something that the the whole league's have to deal with. I've already seen this from Giants fans too. You know, people saying, "Oh, every year it's us," or "Here it comes." You know, it's like I'm seeing this all across the league. I mean, the Cowboys, uh, Gerald McCoy, in in a barely any contact whatsoever, destroyed his quad. I think it was. They had to completely nix him. 
From the, he's just cut entirely gone. I mean, we're seeing this all around the league. And I don't even think it's conditioning. I think that normally we have rookie minicamp and then we have private workouts that the players are doing. And then we have training camp and all this other stuff. We see these injuries spread out over a longer period of time. Now we're just seeing them the same amount, in my opinion, condensed into the couple of weeks that they have to prepare this year. That's yeah, my opinion I mean, on the matter. Right? Yeah. And if baseball is any guide to the future where they had a very condensed spring training and they kind of rushed back everything, guys are dropping like flies. And football is a much more you know, violent, contact, physical sport than baseball is. And I expect to see a lot more. I mean – we should probably do like a uh, a time capsule thing. Grump is, you know, when the starting when the first game of the season starts and there's a 46 man roster, how many of those 46 will still be on the active roster at the end of week 17? Well, I hope they at least have 53 people on the roster. That's true. That'd be very nice if we actually <laughs> went up to the full amount. But uh, if we, st- you know, you know what I mean. If, yeah. you know, how many of those 53 names will still be on the roster at, at, at week 17? I guess I guess the hope is that you get about forty. I would say forty-seven is a reasonable expectation. I think that'd be fantastic. I think. Uh, I mean, it, you know, not including people on IR. I mean, if you're IR, I would, you know, not part of the fifty-three, right? Oh yeah, somebody who goes on IR in week three is kind of that part of that mix. I mean, guys, I'm talking about there's going to be a lot of people who are going to get hurt this year, and a lot of guys. Oh, I mean, in a regular yeah. year, I think you would hope for forty-seven, forty-six, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, the Giants have had some, like as you alluded to, we've had some years we've had, you know, 11, 12, 13 guys in IR, and it's ridiculous. But yeah. those I mean, are that's also going back rare and several unusual. years, though. I mean, I think that's going back to Tom Coughlin days. Yeah. I think, oh, yeah. I think yeah, fans yeah. are a little delusional on how, how recent that was. That was not that recent. I mean, the big thing I remember when McAdoo came in, uh, he did do some really cool things. One of the things was he completely swapped out the weight room for all new equipment, different types of equipment. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. They had um, some like devices that the players wore in practice to prevent soft tissue injury that somehow tracked when they were kind of slogging along and not really at full capacity that made them more susceptible to soft tissue injury. You know, all sorts of things like that. And I think since then we really haven't seen a, a brutal IR, you know, laundry list. But a lot of injuries also happen where it's got nothing to do with anything. It's just like – so it's like, don't forget that as well. You, you could do all the preparation. You can work out for eight weeks before and do everything right. And all of a sudden, you just take one bad turn and then your your knee is fried. So it's kind of random too. One day you're playing with fireworks. The next day you're signing your contract with a fist instead of fingers. So, you know, <laughs> um, couldn't agree more. Um I, I didn't expect to have to leave with that news, but we were going to uh, talk about the blue and white scrimmage that occurred on Friday but wasn't televised till Saturday but then really wasn't televised. and It was really just a bunch of highlights with Bob Papa and Carl Banks talking over it. Um, so, Which is you, not a, which is not a surprise. I mean, you yeah, know. No, it's not, but it doesn't make for very entertaining uh, TV. Yeah. I mean, you, you knew this was not going to – this is going to be packaged in a way, especially since it wasn't live. That uh, you you want to make this a little bit of PR, you want to make this a little bit of a propaganda thing. So, you know, I'd be surprised if they ever showed one incomplete pass or you know, <laughs> one you know defensive play that wasn't a, a, a loss for ten yards or something. So you're going to show things that you want to make it, you know, as palatable and as you know 
encouraging for the fans as possible. Like the last thing you want to show is just complete garbage. So that wasn't surprising at all that it was a condensed, very, you know, uh, blue and white uh, glasses view of, of, of the scrimmage. So there's a couple things I'm going to talk about before we get into some of the things that happened at the scrimmage. Um, you know, you said complete garbage. Sometimes football practices, some days they're just complete garbage. You know, that just happens at every level. There are just some days where, you know, it's 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 kind of a, a famous story. I don't know how many Giants – I mean I've seen it multiple times but it's not talked about a lot. But the practice before Super Bowl Forty Two. The players were joking afterwards about how David Tyree might have had the worst practice a professional wide receiver has had in the history of football. I mean, Plaxico Burris said he couldn't catch a cold that day. Everything he dropped. And he went on to, you know, have two really critical catches in the Super Bowl on the biggest stage in the biggest moments. Um, so, you know, some days bad practices just happened and it's not indicative of anything. So, you know, to your point, they weren't going to air any of that shit because people can't, I mean, people don't want to react to what they say. Yeah. I mean, also think about this. You go, you watch a game, you watch the Super Bowl, which is after, you know, four preseason games, 17 regular season games and three playoff games. Guys still drop balls. Guys still miss blocks. Guys still false start. Guys aren't in right position. Guys aren't doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So people put practice in a much higher standard than they deserve to. It's 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 what, exactly what it is. Practice. We're talking about practice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are doing reps. We are doing things to get it so it is muscle memory and Not brain memory. Not a yeah. game. Right. Talking so, about practice. <laughs> you know, the purely, you know, the fan who watches those things unemotionally and if you watch a preseason game unemotionally and you're not worried about the score and you're not worried about, you know, these different things, the exact purpose of these things is, you know, you want things to be bad because there's nothing to work on. Everything is good. And, but the per- perspective is you're going to see the same mistakes happen in games also. So, you know, on one hand, it's cool to have it on TV. So it's like, oh, I get to watch football, but, you know, remember what you're watching. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is uh, don't get too caught up in any of this. I mean, it was a it was a really long time it took me to get over the duality of of training camp scrimmages, right? I mean, uh, Daniel Jones throws an interception to Darnay Holmes. Hooray, Darnay Holmes is doing well. And then it's like, well, wait, second-year quarterback still throwing interceptions. You know, is this good or is this bad? Don't get too caught up in any of that stuff. My baseline thing to go by, baseline, is that the defense in training camp is always, always going to be ahead of the offense. So if you need to know who won and who lost in a rep or something like that without actually being to see it, bank on the side that the defense has an advantage. The offense has to be a well-oiled machine for plays to work. Um, you know, And there's, there's so many moving parts to an NFL offense. Uh, on top of that, the the defense just reacts. Yeah, defense does a job if the offense doesn't execute. The defense did their job. Exactly. You know what I mean? They yeah. just have to win their one on ones and cover a zone and just just be in the right spot. Offense has to do so much stuff. The guard has to pull over here and block this guy. But if that guy's not there, then he's got to go there. There's so much nuance to an NFL offense. On top of that, in training camps, you're almost only 
seeing a vanilla offense, which is even easier on a defense. So if you have to decide who won or lost a rep or something like that, first of all, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose anyway. But if you need to establish a trend, just keep in mind that the defense should be winning. I would be concerned if in in a training camp that I couldn't see anything and all I heard were reports that the offense was running up and down the field, I would be less excited that the offense seems to be good and much more concerned about a defense because that shouldn't be happening. That's how I would take any of that. I wouldn't take anything that comes out of these reports because no, – Me uh, I mean, but I'm just saying yeah, if I had to, you know. Every, everything about it. I mean, again, the media has very limited – uh, uh, freedom to write what they saw in these things. Uh, and again, you know, that's under the guise of COVID, I guess. But I mean, coaches all, they want as little information out in the public sphere as possible. So, you know, and what they want to hear, they want to get out there. Things are going good. So it's all bullshit. Don't get, you know, I think what you need to hear is kind of when you see what the cutdowns were, who didn't, who got let go. That's a pretty good indicator of who was winning battles and losing battles over a larger sample size than other than the nine plays you saw. Because remember this as well: when you're watching a scrimmage, you're watching a preseason game, like the starters, you're seeing them out there for maybe two or three series, and that's it. Maybe twelve, thirteen plays. You know, a receiver muffs one pass or doesn't want one route. That's one. That's not the sample size the coaches are watching every day in practice, every day in drills, all these other things. So what your perception is of what you see in a scrimmage is nothing compared to what the coach's perception is. So, I, you know, I, again, I hate to be that guy to be like, don't worry about what you're seeing now. It doesn't matter. But it's really sort of those things that it really matters to the players and the coaches and the GM right now. And you'll get your first hint of how things are going when you see the cut list getting down to 65 people. Um, Absolutely. With that said, some things that happened that are worth mentioning. Um, Lorenzo Carter was the star of the show. He generated pressure no matter who he was up against, whether it was Andrew Thomas, Levine Toilolo, or Cam Fleming. He had what was credited as four and a half sacks and what should have been a forced fumble strip sack. Um, but because of the rules in place, there was no live hitting, especially on the quarterbacks. They ruled that he technically touched Daniel Jones before, uh, you know, he knocked the ball out. But from you know, from what it looked like, he barely touched him. If that were a live situation, I think that would have definitely been a fumble and recovery. Uh, so, to me, that's some pretty good news. I, you know, we're waiting for Lorenzo Carter to kind of break out. Even if he if he was just like a role player. Um, you know that is what it is, and that's that's good in itself. This kind of stuff from him, uh, this is what we want to see. Oh, absolutely! I mean, anytime you hear about when you hear you know coaches or anybody just kind of raving about how somebody did, you know, the media and stuff, that's that's not blowing smoke up an ass. I mean, that's kind of like you know, because coaches don't like to give individual praises unless they have to, you know. So that's good. So, you know, we need guys like him to step up this year. You know, guys have been around for a little bit need to kind of make that next level because guys like him, we're not that far away from deciding we have to pay him or not. And decisions will be made, maybe not this year or next, but starting to think about it. These guys part of the real future. So you want to see development from these guys. And, you know, 
obviously we'll really start knowing once you know the uh the gun has real bullets in it and we're and they're really firing in the regular season but uh you know encouraging to see absolutely um for, for a while now, Wayne Gallman seemed to have been falling down the depth chart, dating back to last year. When Barkley got hurt, he gave, you know, two and a half, I think, good performances in games uh, against tough opponents, uh, with the exception of Washington, uh, but with a rookie quarterback. You know what I mean? The whole offense was hamstrung with a, a rookie quarterback being thrown in without the benefit of a full offseason of taking first-team reps, etc., um, and Wayne Gullman put in some good work and then mysteriously found his way falling down the depth chart. Uh, we've never gotten any indication as to why um, that happened. I mean, he, he didn't put he in He never some, did either. Yeah, no, I, I mean, maybe he did, but... Um, well, he never said it in, like, in an interview or anything. He's no, always... he never said anything. In the middle of it, like, I'm perplexed why I'm not, you know, being used. Um, he didn't turn in performances of, uh, you know... 110 yards uh, a game or anything like that, but certainly nothing nothing bad. Um, and it, it, it seemed to be carrying over to this year where we were seeing Deion Lewis was signed and, you know, he's he's almost certainly going to make the roster behind Saquon Barkley. And now, you know, they went and got Javon Leak. They were very high on this UDFA out of Maryland uh, because he has insane speed and had doubles uh, some special teams ability as a returner, which this team really hasn't had a dynamic returner in a long time. And Gallman, we weren't really hearing anything about in camp. He showed up immediately in the scrimmage. I mean, he took one to the house on something like 70 yards. It was like the third play for, for you know, the second team offense, I think it was. Um, and then he caught another one for a touchdown. Uh, he was, I would say, from my perspective and what we were allowed to see in the highlights that were televised – Flawless. Um, and, you know, not long after that, Javon Leak was weighed by the team. They brought in Tavian Feaster, which is what it is, but Gallman has a leg up now. So I, I'm i not saying that he's made the roster, but he's made a name for himself very suddenly, uh, which is something that he needed to do for himself, I think. He's the type of guy that, you know, you already have him in-house. It's like you don't need to spend extra money. We're looking at an eye at the cap for the future to bring somebody in to basically be a backup, you know, and you have the guy already, already part of the cap already at a pretty cheap price. I don't imagine his contract's very high, you know, and, you know, long as he's not completely incompetent, I think he has a leg up on these, you know, on, on competition. You know, we we're not expecting or not demanding a thousand yard runner as Saquon Barkley's backup. We're not expecting somebody to catch 90 passes out of the backfield as Saquon Barkley's backup. We need somebody when Barkley gets a blow, isn't a minus two rushing average in his stone hands and can't block anybody to save his life. If he could do those things and just be competent, he's got a spot on this team. You know, then you worry about getting a replacement next year, near after with it with a late round draft pick or something. So, you know, good for him. You know, again, we were we were all perplexed last year. He was, you know, why is this guy not playing? Why is he in the doghouse? So, um, you know, and again, I, I, I hate to go back to my standard statement, but it's possible that the backup running back is on another roster right now, too. But I think, again, for the reasons I said, I think he's probably made a team and probably will be the backup at least to start. 
we are now entering into uh, some things that I, I, uh, I would not <laughs> take to heart too much. But Jones did not look like he was navigating the pocket well or holding on to the ball well enough in the scrimmage. Now remember that this is a whole new offense that he's dealing that he's commanding, not just dealing with, but he's commanding. He's got to know everything that everybody's doing. Um, but you know, it wasn't he didn't turn in what I would call an inspiring performance in this scrimmage. Uh, you know, he 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 at times looked a little bit lost navigating the pocket when pressure seemed to come around him. The fact that he couldn't hold on to the ball when when getting you know, just lightly touched by Lorenzo Carter, that's actually concerning to me. I mean, that I don't want to see at all. That's a, that's the thing that scares me the most of anything we've any report I read about the about the scrimmage is the fact that he had a fumble. And it's one of those things where all off season it was on every giant fan's mind is, you know, he fumbled a lot, but uh, you know, that will get cleaned up with better coaching, more experience, more confidence, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden to do it right off the bat, just, you know, it may do nothing to his confidence. I know it does scare the hell out of giant fans and Hey, his longevity as being the giant starting quarterback is going to number one, be on his ability to limit turnovers, whether they're throwing picks or fumbling and it's got to be cleaned up. And that's something he has to, has to be job one a for him and the coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, I, I will say that the one sample size of him not holding on to the ball, you know, it, 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 one time, you know, I, I'm not going to freak out, but it is concerning. It's not freak out, but it's definitely a, you know, it, it raises an eyebrow because, you know, again, if we're, we're not supposed to be raising eyebrows in these situations, but you know, something <laughs> when it's my, when it's my quarterback with a history of something and it does it, I'm raising an eyebrow. I'm also not trying to. I'm not trying to fire Gettleman because of it, but you know, it's something that will be more heavily scrutinized than it probably maybe needs to be. So, sure. Uh, I, I one other thing that I noticed um, in this scrimmage, Corey Coleman is someone that we had high expectations for as Giants fans last year. Um, you know, unfortunately tore his ACL before we even got to see him practice. You know, he, he came into the onto the team in the middle of the year. You know, he wasn't able to contribute much just because he was brand new. The season was mostly over at that point. We were certainly already a losing team. We we thought, you know, give him a full off season under Pat Shermer, and you know he'll be a, a big part of this offense or, or you know a vital part. Um, and that didn't get to happen. Uh, so far this year, he's been completely healthy. You know. And he was injured with the torn ACL happened, you know, long ago, long ago enough now where we're talking about over a year that he's had plenty of time to rehab and get stronger. He's set to be wide receiver four at this point behind Darius Slayton, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. I think remember, this is a former first round pick from not that long ago on any other roster, almost any other roster. He's at least wide receiver three. So he, now operating as wide receiver four, should be able to dominate whoever he's lined up against. I mean, when you really think about what this offense can deliver in terms of dynamic talent, you have a a guy who really emerged last year with some deep speed and some good route running in Darius Slayton. 
You have a proven veteran in Golden Tate who, while he doesn't necessarily get great separation, he does win a lot of contested catches and he gets a lot of yards after the catch. A savvy veteran with good hands. Sterling Shepard is a very good quick twitch inside guy who can also play a little bit of outside, but he gets he gets plenty of separation, has good speed. You know, now you're adding in a former first round pick in Corey Coleman out of Baylor was considered to be, you know, a future wide receiver one. He may still, you know, make his way to that at this point. He's still very young. Um, but I mean, he's at least a wide receiver three on most other rosters. To have him as wide receiver four, you add him in with Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley also as potential receivers and Deion Lewis. I mean, there's no defense that has enough <laughs> has enough coverage talent to be able to handle all of that. So I mean, it's it's just a it's a valuable asset that I don't think that we have talked about on this show at all, um, which is a crime. But I mean, in general, I don't see being talked about amongst anyone. It seems to be the the forgotten man. It, you know, it's it's you went through that whole list of receivers, and you know they're. It's a potential if they all stay healthy to be a very steady group. You know, not much separation between one and four, but that bar is not, you know, outstanding all all pro-ish, but, you know, enough that could be serviceable that can help a young quarterback, you know, do his job. Uh, I wouldn't spend any money in the offseason going big big time for number one with this cast, but, uh, you know, again, it all depends on, keeping these guys injured because you know when you we say oh if coleman does this and evan ingram and saquon well guess what evan ingram can't stay on the field certainly separate you know can't stay on the field barkley was out for a while last year coleman was out all last year so there are a lot of ifs on it but you know we get but either, 75 but doesn't that even help the if situation i mean if golden tate has a concussion and he's out that day there's very little drop off now when you throw Corey coleman in there you know, compare that to last year. We had Cody Latimer, while he's very tall and he's pretty fast, was really just not a complete wide receiver. Yeah, I mean the the fact that he is at, at this point depth is already an advantage in the event of one of these guys getting injured. Right, but it's depth for a bunch of guys who don't have a history of being workhorses. I mean, there's no Lou Gehrig's on this team. A lot of these guys have had a history of nagging things or or major things. So, I mean. Again, it's on paper. It sounds great, but I have to see. I have to see an Evan Ingram play sixteen games. I have to see a Sterling Shepard play sixteen games before I can really count on these guys. For you know, they're going to be there when I need them, and that depth can get depleted very quickly. With uh, you know, especially in a year like this, where you know you don't have the normal off-season routines, and again, that specter of COVID is always out there. What are you seeing around the league and from media people besides the New York area think about the Giants receiving core? Do they look at this as like, yeah, it's a pretty good core, just underrated or? I I mean, I think most of the league is viewing the Giants as a seller dweller and are not really being looked at in individual groups like that. I mean, I I think when you have people around the league, I don't think that they're very in tune with what the individual pieces are. I think they look at the major pieces. They look at the record. They look at the new coach. You know, they look at the headline things, right? They know Barkley, but they laugh at Jones. 
You know, they yeah, they, they not, know the I'm Odell Beckham about... thing. They know the Joe Judge is a, a crotchety coach kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not talking about the beat writer or the columnist and the Cleveland Plain Dealer. I'm talking about the you know uh, the Adam Schefters or you know the guys who cover the team for you know uh, Bleacher Report or guys who you know who know the league and are not just writing uh, you know the you know the, the hit column or something. The ones who know. I don't really know. I haven't really seen anything. Um, you know, the only thing that I've really seen was you know a lot of people are very high around the league are very high on Evan Ingram. That is not just a New York thing. Um, I I think that the main thing that's talked about by people who are smart that I've seen um, and by people that are smart, I mean actual executives in front offices, I've seen quoted as saying the best player on this roster not named Saquon Barkley is Dexter Lawrence. Um, There's a lot of respect for the defensive line. But, you know, I haven't really seen a whole lot of, like, real outsider breakdowns of this roster. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting because I, I was uh, – my question was specifically about the wide receivers, but just in general it's interesting to, for we do. Maybe that will be our homework assignment this week is kind of – see, because we're starting to get to – like, you know, the preseason mags are out, and that's, that's old man cranky fan talking preseason magazines where <laughs> – I don't know if they're out there much anymore, but it's you're magazine. starting to see, like – yeah, like the, the preseason previews are coming out and, you know, the analysis that are out there. And I'll start doing a little research to see what people think about. So I'm curious about the wide receiver core because, you know, again, I, I, you know, I know what we got. and It's kind of it's, it's a solid crew that gets, stays healthy, but I'm not sure what everybody else. Is it just us being hopeful that these guys are good as opposed to where are they really? So. Mm-hmm. The last thing really is um... – it seems that uh, the Jaguars are making a play for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they are moving on from former first-round pick from, what, two years ago? Leonard Fournette? Uh, this would be his fourth year, I believe. Really? Interesting. Um, but, you know, highly touted running back out of LSU. They're moving on from him. Uh in my opinion, this says a lot less about Fournette and a lot more about what Jacksonville is doing. I would say that GM uh, David Caldwell is pretty much out the door and coach Doug Marone are, are out the door. I, I, so I, I think this is a lot about um, Jacksonville. I mean, they were already, in my opinion, you know, in a position to gun for <laughs> Trevor Lawrence as it is with, with you know, a lot was going to hinge on what Gardner Minshew was going to be able to do this year. You know, if he really stepped up to the plate and they were they really got their socks blown off by how well he did, then maybe things changed. But that would have changed yeah. the record anyway and put them out of the running. So, but Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew is like Daniel Jones and probably even in a different category I would say where even a step down from there. Yeah, I mean, if the Giants had the opportunity to draft first, they're drafting Trevor Lawrence, and okay. We're going to have to eat the fact that we spent a very, very high draft pick. Gardner Minshew was not a very, very high draft pick, and he was a nice story for a while. And they seem to be clearing the decks to give him an opportunity. But if they get a chance to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Field or any of these guys coming out, maybe Kyle Trask, who knows, um, they'll move on. I mean, the, uh, you know, this is a team that desperately needs uh, you know, sexiness to, to draw fans and become a regional 
Well, they have draw. that pool area with the bikini girls. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, n- n- never mind then. But you know, uh, they're a very strange franchise because we thought like two, three years ago that they really had their act together. We I mean, they, they had a really good very, defense. Very, very near a Super Bowl. Yeah, and they went from real contenders to real shot to complete, you know, flaming pile in like a season. And they've been mismanaged for years. They've had, you know, Tom Coughlin is no longer there. You know, they, they're starting fresh again. It seems like they're constantly reorganizing from the top down. And, you know, when you have that lack of stability, that really usually means you have very disjointed rosters, but remnants of all different uh, directions you're going. And, you know, how much a running back makes that decision to tank the year, I don't know. But maybe it's just a, you know, clear some cap, but I I guess the question about Leonard Fournette is, you know, if you're the Giants, do you kick the tires on him at all? I mean, he did have 75 receptions last year, and you know, if we're trying to, you know, work on Daniel Jones and give him easy uh, safety valves and stuff to, to throw to, you know, we, we, we think that uh, Saquon's going to have a lot of reception out of the backfield, or he should more than he did last year. You know, does it make sense to try to, you know, on a on a prove-it contract for one year, bring him in, see what happens? <laughs> well, talent-wise, Leonard Fournette is, is you know, exceptional. You've seen way more of him than I have, uh, just, you know, with your, your SEC goggles. Um, I don't think that's really the issue. I think I think there's just no sense to it. I, I don't think that there's any reason. I mean, right now, Barkley is your guy, and even if he works in as your number two guy, I mean... At this point, kind of, why? I mean, how long are we bringing him in for? Are we kicking the tires on him for three years? I mean, I guess maybe you get yourself a one-two punch in the backfield. But, I mean, I just, I don't really see the, it would have to be, first of all, he's not clearing waivers. I I can't imagine. Um, I'm also kind of, I'm also looking at this is that I don't feel like anybody's a guaranteed, like, they're playing 17 games. I mean, especially this year. I mean, it's like, well, he's your number one. Okay, well, what happened last year when he went down? We were screwed. And again, that's a very expensive insurance policy, but it's one that can be weaved into this offense. So, you know, Saquon isn't, you know, on the field for 95% of the offensive plays. You can, you know, have him in there, maybe have a one-two punch or something, because the second you say, well, he's he's number one, and that's that, he goes down. And then what? So... I mean, I, I, it's not likely they do it. I don't, you know, I wouldn't advocate trying to do it. But I just saw the name out there, and I was just kind of thinking a little unorthodoxly, like if he could be got cheap for a very short thing, and he's trying to rehabilitate, you know, his Q rating and stuff. Would it make any sense? I mean, it always makes sense to acquire talent. Uh, like I said, you know, that then means that you have some trade bait with Deion Lewis, with uh, Wayne Gallman. You know, the, there's no there's never an issue with acquiring talent, especially for cheap. The problem is, is that since he's been cut, he's now a free agent. So he's going to make what he's actually worth. Um, he's not part of his rookie deal anymore where it's a set in stone thing. No matter how good you are, or how bad you are, this is what you're making. No, 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 no. This is, this is the time where he's going to get the money that people think he's worth. And I don't think remember, remember though, we're at the time of the year where a lot of, not a lot of people have a lot of money. And also not a lot of teams, 
a lot of teams are in the same giant situation where they're thinking about next year and carryover money too. So and, and you know what though, it's the not cap can it's, be manipulated in ways to make things happen. We we see it every Dallas seems to have bottomless pockets for acquiring talent. Seattle tends to do this shit all the time where they just manage to get these guys. New England. So that's why I'm not overly concerned. Even our conversation earlier, it's just you know if they want them to work it out, and I you know. But but all those teams that I'm talking about, those are contenders, right? Their their cap situation, the way you manipulate the cap to make it work, you know, you're doing that for the one year deal. The Giants are not going to manipulate the cap to to try and win this year. My point was that he's not a true free agent because there's not a true. He won't get his true market value this year because there are other factors that are going to push his market value down. And I think, again, there's not as many suitors. I mean, this happened now. It didn't happen at the beginning of free agency when everybody has their money. Uh, people are looking to next year. Uh, you know, everybody spent all their money. So, you know, how many true suitors are there out there that would spend, you know, what he thinks he's worth? It's probably not a lot. That's why I'm thinking you get him on a, a prove-it contract. And a prove-it meaning he just kicks ass this year. And you get one really good year out of him. That doesn't hurt anybody. I don't know. I mean, there's there's no sense in saying no to it, but I just don't think it happens. I don't think so either. I just, you know, the name came out, and I'm like, it's a guy I, you know, I didn't, I hated him because he went to LSU, but I knew he was, you know, one of the best running backs I've seen pop out of the SEC in the last 15 years. And uh, score Tampa Bay, one nothing Lightning. <laughs> take take that, Boston. Fuck <laughs> off. That that's gonna do it for today uh this week we'll catch you next week barring some major major news um you can find us as always itunes soundcloud spotify google play wherever there's podcasts there is the just giants podcast you can follow me as always on twitter at the cranky fan where as you may have guessed we are in the middle of the playoffs tampa bay lightning playoffs we're in the basically the pseudo playoffs for baseball with my rays and playing the yankees right now uh you know, we're obviously in the thick of training camp for the Giants. We got Florida Gator football starting up pretty soon. A lot to talk about, a lot for me to talk shit to all of you people that are not. If you're not with me, you're against me, but I'd love to have fun with you anyway. So follow me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. And you can follow me as always at football underscore grump. I'm very active on Twitter these days as things are happening day to day, injuries, training camp reports. Free agents, guys getting cut, you know, roster moves. So I'm very active on there, and I reach out to—I I mean, I respond to just about everybody. So uh, come by, say hello. Yeah, and keep take a look. Keep your eyes open on Twitter and podcast universe for other surprises where you might hear our voices on other outlets and things. So just uh, not going to give you any surprises, but. Um... Be on the lookout for more Just Giants uh, content and some surprises we have in the works for the beginning of the season. Yep, absolutely. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants.